Welcome to Horses for Future. Horse people can make a difference in the climate change crisis. And together through this podcast, we're learning how we can do that. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Manda Scott. Manda is a veterinarian, an author, a sustainable economist, a shamanic teacher, and a climate crisis activist. And together we're having these exchanges of ideas to see what we can do together to help make a difference for the planet. And this past June, Manda, I was visiting with you and on the drive back from the train station, you were catching me up on various things that you've been looking at and and some of the courses you have been on. And you had just come back, I think, from a course that was given by Carol Hughes, who's a biochemist, and she's uh, been looking at the gut microbes in, in equines, and she has this wonderful machine that allows you to really do a, a very detailed and complete analysis of what is going on in a horse's digestive system. And it was sounding really really fascinating. So can you talk a little bit for a moment uh, about what that experience was like and what you, because uh, I think you've done the, you've, you've had the equibiome readout and what that entails. Definitely. Yes. So I was really inspired in the summer. I am still really inspired because I think this is a whole new Diagnostic Avenue, my kind of veterinary antenna are out there, but as a, a horse owner, it's also providing, it's filling one of the big gaps in the things, because we do so many things because it's what people do, and we don't know to do them differently because we don't have enough information. So what Carol has got, her equibiome system, you send off a small fecal sample in this incredibly clever and detailed small thing for sending biological samples all around the world. I think you could probably put Ebola virus in there and it would be safe to send it in the post. Not but let's not. Anybody does that. <laughs> no, no, we're not, not recommending that. Nor smallpox, nor anything else. Put, no, but you can put horse feces in there. And, you know, you don't know. It might have salmonella. You never know. But it's, it'll be safe right. as long as you follow their instructions. You send it off. They put it in this amazing multi-million pound machine. And effectively what it does is it analyzes the DNA of every single bacterium in that little fecal sample. And so provided you've got a representative sample, and that's, I think, I'm hoping that's not too much of an ask because it seems to me when I look at the results of what my horses have passed through and I'm putting it on the muck heap, it, they look pretty uniform. So you're trying to get a bit, and, and you've got to not get contamination, but then you've got a readout of what bacteria are there in the moment you took the sample. And if you just look at that readout, to anyone who is not a bacteriologist, it means nothing at all. But what they've got is somebody who sits down basically and looks at this printout and analyzes it for you, and then gives a readout in much more comprehensive terms. So if you give me a moment, Alex, and we, you know, you can cut this bit out, I can actually look one up. Okay. Um, and then I can read you, um, and while you're while you're looking for that, she in her initial study, you were telling me that she looked at what was it three, four different groups. She looked at 
thoroughbreds that were in Newmarket. Yep. She looked at horses that were in Portugal living and then with with um yeah yeah, yeah. so living in a, living in a good equi a good functioning bio out there i think they've got very biodiverse pastures so that was a really good uh population out there and then they've got the carnetic ponies which are a wild living population there's there's about 250 of them and they live on the sides of snowden in wales on about 45,000 acres um so they're it's certainly in the UK as close as we get to a feral indigenous population. So did we talk about thoroughbreds as well? They do racing thoroughbreds. Did we say that at the start? Um, so, so they've also got the racing thoroughbreds, which are a very highly selected population that survive in incredibly unnatural conditions for horses. But by the nature of the racing industry, they've self-selected for the ones that are very well adapted to that environment. Um, yes. And they've also got the final population, which is since they've been doing this, which is now about 18 months, um, they've got a population of horses with, generally speaking, with some kind of pathology where the owners are prepared to pay in, over in the UK costs 150 pounds per sample, which is not huge, but it's also not insignificant. And so they tend to be people who've got horses where they run to their wits end and they don't know what else to do. And they're prepared to send this off and wait Four or five weeks for the results to come back in the hope that they will learn something so i just brought up so i've got three ponies and i've done it with all of them really just out of interest uh, none of them has obvious pathology and and all of them are on fairly biodiverse pasture and as natural a feeding system as i can manage none of them is currently in work so they're not in any they're not getting stressed in that way so i'm looking at the readout on lily as we speak and what we've got is a classification of the bacterial classes. So there's firmicutes and bacteroidetes and spirochetes and fibrobacteries and things that I can't pronounce, and actinobacteria, which I can pronounce, and proteobacteria and various others. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, I think, different classes. And then they've done a traffic light system where they've got the present level in percent, and it's either green, which is obviously the normal. Amber, which is hovering, and red, which is not normal. So in my, what I thought was a fairly healthy young pony, um, I've got one in the green, three in the amber, and all of the rest are in the red, um, which was an interesting experience. Um, so, and, and this, is, this is in its infancy. The, the normals are culled from the populations that they've looked at and also various papers over the years of other people who've done studies and you know I think it's going to be a long time before it settles down to what is actually normal for horses and ponies under specific management structures but then what I have is in a readout so I'm going to read you the first paragraph just so you get a, a feel for it the highest represented group in your horse's hind gut are the firmicutes these are generally recognized as contributing the most to the normal homeostasis of the biome and to the health of the horse, i.e. they make nutrients, contain species that boost the immune system, renew the gut wall, and interact with respect for the host, which is why they are usually present and tolerated in high numbers. Recommended of 49 to 85% by, and then it gives the references, Shepard et al, 2012. Um, levels of below 50% have been proposed as a marker for increased risk of colic, SCOD, which is simple colonic obstruction and distension, 
by Proudman et al. in 2011. Um, whilst Avlobacteroidetes have been compared in horses diagnosed with colitis, the healthy horse had levels of 10% blood. But it goes on with this. And then it explains later, okay, so, so this is what's normal. Your horse is abnormal in this particular way. Um, and then this is what you can do about it. So um, here, this, my summary says, the main action is to reduce the bacteroidetes and the something else I can't pronounce, bacteria. Um, the latter are inflammatory. Um, improvements can be achieved by feeding the good gut bacteria as the good bacteria increase the environment or the, the biome and becomes less favorable for the bad or inflammatory bacteria. It can take up to six months to do this change. And here are the things that you might want to do to do this. So, for instance, the changes that I've made in this particular pony's diet is I'm giving her a handful of organic oats once a day, um, which helps to boost one of them. I'm also giving her uh, apple cider vinegar with the mother. I'm mixing up the feed with spring water or rainwater. No, not with water that has um, chlorine or fluoride in it. I've added um, a particular, so, so Carol has produced biome supplements, which are very, very constant. They've taken whatever it is in the plants that the ponies need, and they've reduced it down to its bare minimum. And so quite a small teaspoon of biome factor four, which is what we're on at the moment, having started on biome factor five. And then I also am giving her human level proteobacteria, because bifidobacteria, sorry, um, because there is not a horse one. And, and the human ones, they're not cheap, but they're the ones that work best. Um, and once I think that she's repopulated, I can go and offer her rosemary and thyme and oregano, which are also very good at supporting those particular bacteria. So I'm doing all this. I will test it again in probably she's in fall. So I'm going to test her in about March, which is roughly six months after we tested to begin with. And it'll also mean that if I still need to make changes, because what I really like, is to have a foal that, because the foal biome is, is very similar to the mare biome. Yes. Um, and I want a foal that starts out with a good biome. And then I want to monitor it and see, because I'm really trying to build up the biodiversity of our pastures. And I take the ponies out for, not at the moment, because it's cold and wet and miserable, but normally I take them out for foraging walks so they can you know, self-select what they want from a really biodiverse set of hedgerows. And we, we go into local woodland and just wander around and they can eat whatever they want. And so I'm really interested in, in how does this change? And what I have noticed, so this is, she's a Connemara. She came to me from the breeder. She had a lot of issues. She's agoraphobic. You put her in a stable and she has actual hysterics and will try and climb out over the wall, over the door. Um, she assaults hay nets. She had a very bad experience, I think, with the dentist, because if she sees a dentist at a point when she's not sedated, she she definitely goes into massive trigger stacking. Um, and she wasn't that keen about us picking her feet up. I think she had quite a lot of hassle with that. And what I've noticed most since we've begun to get her biome right is that she's a lot calmer. I can now go around and pick up all of her feet. And you know, I was clicker training. She's and she's a very responsive pony, but she's just much more chilled. And and when I went on the course with Carol. There were 10 of us in the course, seven of whom had done the biome test. I hadn't at that point. And I was really struck. These were people who had really quite difficult issues with their ponies. So one had Cushing's, 
um, they reckon they'd sorted its biome out and it was no longer displaying signs of fishies. And you know, from a veterinary point of view, this is such a thesis in search for a graduate student because we're right at the infancy of this. And you know, the owner might be wrong. It might not, not have had cushions in the first place. She might not be noticing the signs of fishings now. We don't know. But if it is the case that sorting out a horse's biome can begin seriously to influence PPID in horses, I want to know that. Um, Definitely. And, and there were others, there were behavioural ones. There was a woman who bought a racehorse out of training um, for her daughter to event. And this horse had such separation anxiety. It was in a, a yard with eight other horses. And if any one of those horses was taken away, it, it had a meltdown. She said her, her daughter rode it out once and she was never going to let her sit on it again because it basically wasn't safe. And you can think of a lot of reasons why that might be the case and a lot of behavioral stuff that they can do. But what they did was tested its biome, found it was massively out of balance, got it back into balance. And within a month, it wasn't caring about horses leaving the yard and her daughter was riding it out. And I think, you know, this is, this is big. And I know, I remember I was saying to you at the time, so my partner's got fibromyalgia and we had gone on to the paleoketogenic diet, which is, I hate to say this in front of a vegan, but it's basically meat and greens. Um, and I had lived up to that point. I used to make myself spelt chapatis every morning. It was my thing, that's what I had. It kept me going for half the day. It's what Roman soldiers marched on. I reckon Roman soldiers can do it, I can do it. I was pretty addicted to my carbs, but I didn't know that until I stopped. And the first month after I had changed my diet, I was not a happy person to be around. Really quite crabby. And, you know, I do quite a lot of, you know, I, I've done 40 years of meditation. I'm moderately good at looking at my own process. So I didn't actually, you know, kill anybody. But, <laughs> but I was definitely thinking about it much more than I usually do. It wasn't, it was not a happy experience. And I'm thinking, if you're the average horse and you, I don't know, you change location, somebody buys you, they bring you from one end of the country to the other, they bring you half a bale of hay with them because they know that it's not a good idea to change diet immediately, but they're basically, you know, you're on different grass, which is 90% of what you eat. The half bale of hay runs out and they give you the ordinary hay because hey, it's, it's hay, what, what the hell? And, and there's all the behavioral stuff and you just change your heart. And you're feeling really not very happy because your gut biome is not happy. Then it's amazing, frankly, that that we can do the things that we can do. So I'm thinking that that in the end, you know, if the human race survives, and I have to keep remembering that we're right on the edge of tipping points, and you know, next year and the year after, who knows? But if we manage to bring ourselves to a point of balance and we go forward in any way that's sane, then working with equibiome with our horses will become something that we all want to do because we want our horses to be healthy and we want them to be peaceful and and this is going to be a huge huge part of the jigsaw i think and it's also an interesting way of seeing the effect that the work that we do on creating more biodiverse pastures has so it'd be interesting to take because the, the equibiome is in its infancy. So in a sense, when people send in to have their horses tested, they're just becoming a data point because we don't actually know what normal in that environment should be. So, so, so much more data we need. We yes. need to, you know, Icelandic, Icelandic ponies in Iceland, 
anti-Semitic ponies have just been imported somewhere else. We need Absolutely. horses in Spain and Portugal and Iberic horses that have been imported over here. We need racehorses on the track and we need racehorses off the track. We need ponies on the hillside, we need ponies by the beach. You know, it's, we can't get too much data. Yeah, so we're, we are, we are participating in a way in citizen science so that I am investing 150 pounds to contribute to this, to this collecting of data so that down the road, 10 years from now, whatever, we will know more. And this information that you receive back will have even more value. So it would be interesting to draw a baseline because in, in training, in science, we like baselines. What does it look like now? What is our starting point? What does my pasture look like now? Now when I do these interventions and I create changes in my pasture so that I am working to create more biodiversity because I want that rich biodiverse soil that is gonna sequester carbon. And I take that baseline of my horse and I come back in six months, a year, another growing season, and I take that gut biome. What do I see? Yeah. That's and, gonna and be I've, and I've fascinating. And I've the species in the pasture at the same time, and then I can, yes. you know, I can tell them, you know, I, I had 15 more species in the pasture between the first sample and the second sample, and yep. you know, the horses were browsing more in the hedgerows because I'd planted more trees or whatever. It's gonna be so yes. 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 And that's data that we that we need because it it tells us whether we're on the right track. Exactly. Yeah. And then we can yeah. begin to make interventions that, that have some kind of street cred behind them. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's really good. and then you don't feel quite so helpless when you have the horse that starts to colic or that where you have the chronic colics. What can I change? What can I do? I'm already doing what I thought was good husbandry. Why is this, why is this happening to me? You know, why does my horse have Cushing's? It's not good enough to say, well, he's in that age bracket where they get Cushing's. Yeah. That's is. not good enough. No, it's not, it really isn't. No, it's like, you know, I've got a working Cocker Spaniel and people didn't want to do hip x-rays because they basically didn't want to see what was there. And then they say, well, all, all spaniels go a bit stiff in their old age. And you go, no, they don't. Just the ones with the bad hips that you haven't been bothered to test go stiff in their hips in their old age. And it's, yeah, it's the same. Yeah. We need the data points. And, and you know, we're back to, there's the known knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. And there are so many unknown unknowns, but at least we can begin to fill in the gaps in this because it's a whole new, you know, two years ago, we didn't know this existed. We didn't know it was possible. And we didn't know there was something we could measure and we didn't know that the gut biome had such a huge impact. And I think one of the other really exciting things is there's so much work being done now on the gut biome in humans, because obviously this machine was not developed to measure the gut biome of horses. They, Carol's changed it for that. It was measured, it was designed to measure it in people. And they're doing, the, the work is, is just exploding because we're realizing that an awful lot of human health also depends on these billions of bacteria that we carry around with us every day yes. um and and the, you know the populations change and and if we feed them you know donuts and cream crackers and smoked salmon that, that probably isn't going to be happy um so we need to you know then we can begin to look at how does human health depend on what we eat which we know but we haven't really been able to measure it in this way before yeah I mean, it's pretty astounding to think that this grumpy mood that i'm in 
maybe because my the microbes in my digestive system are not happy with how I'm treating them and and that my grumpy mood is not it, it's me but it's not me <laughs> it make me want to go and eat some donuts because they want the donuts it's medicine. yes yes they're linking depression and, and there's all kinds of you know things that we just don't think of as being linked to our gut biome you know the the bottom line in this is we live on an astounding planet the more we discover the more astounding it becomes what we're discovering right now about the connection between plants and the mycorrhizal fungi, I can't tell you how exciting I find that. And what we're what we're discovering about the intelligence of plants, I just it's like, well of course. Of course. And but now we've we've we're 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 admitting that there is this out there that uh, it's just so exciting. We live on such an amazing, exciting planet, which means that we need to work really hard to keep it. Yes. Yes. We really do. Yes. Yeah. So we've done an interview with Carol Hughes, which we'll be bringing you, because that was one of the people that I, after talking with you, I thought, oh, we need to talk to her too. So this is just a teaser to get people, so that people will have some understanding, some background of why it is that we're talking to her in our uh, upcoming podcast. So excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Good. Well done. Well done, yes. We'll bring you the interview with Carol Hughes in our next podcast. In the meantime, I have a couple of announcements. I've just put up my clinic schedule for the coming year. In addition to the normal conferences and clinics, there are a couple of special events that I want to tell you about. The first is in May, May 12 through 16, 2020. We are going to hold our second clicker training science camp. This year, our science camp is going to be at the Clicker Center, my home barn in upstate New York. I'll be joined by Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz, Mary Hunter, and Dr. Michaela Hempen. And as a very special treat, we will have daily Feldenkrais sessions with Natalie von Kohenberg. The main theme for the presentations is going to be errorless learning and stimulus control. We'll be looking both at the theory and the practice. That means that the resident animals will be joining us as teachers. So we'll have both the horses and my cashmere goats joining us. If you haven't worked with goats before, you are in for a treat. For more information, go to my website, theclickercenter.com. There you'll find the full list of conferences and clinics. Hopefully they'll see you at one of them this year. Second announcement that I'm really excited by is the new revised edition of my book, The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, is now available and can be ordered through my website. I published the original version of the book in 2003, and I've taught a lot of clinics in the intervening years, which means I've got a lot more to say about all of the lessons. So when it was time to reprint the book, I decided that it was also time to give it an update. You can order the new book at my website, theclickercenter.com. As I'm recording this, the book is still at the printer, but it should be shipping to me any day now. So hopefully I'll have it in time to get it out to everyone for Christmas. 
That's all the announcements for today. Next week, it will be more on the equine gut biome as we begin our interview with Carol Hughes. So in the meantime, remember, horse people can make a difference.